Okay, we are still in our series, Eternal Life, What's Next? And uh, I'm going to start off today, though, just talking about something else. Uh, uh, and that is uh, Emmanuel Fellowship begins tomorrow, a uh, February 28th, a week of prayer and fasting. And I know that many of you who are watching this are not part of Emmanuel Fellowship, and that's okay. But but we do also have quite a few people who do listen to it from Emmanuel Fellowship that are perhaps they've got kids or sick or they're on vacation or whatever. So I'm just going to take just a real few minutes and just talk about fasting. Now, of course, there's a lot in the Bible about fasting, and I'm not going to go into all that right now. That's a message or maybe two messages in itself. But I do encourage you to study that. But let me just say a few things about some uh, practical aspects of fasting. First of all, fasting cleanses our minds. It cleanses our spirits. We find ourselves just so much more alert and also our bodies. So much so that many health enthusiasts advocate regular uh, fasting for your health. So I, I, I say that to say, don't be afraid. Oh, no, you know, uh, I, I feel like my body's kind of, you know, reacting to this fasting. Well, that first day or so, yeah, your body might be reacting because it's used to a lot of food, but it's not going to hurt you, okay? Um, another thing, a typical fast, because a lot of people don't know what's fasting. What does it mean? A typical fast means no food. That's right, no food. Water, lots of water if you're living up in the mountains of Colorado, and uh, and maybe even sometimes another drink, like I'll have some weak uh, tea that I will use unsweetened, uh, you know, occasionally when I fast. But it's really, it's up to you, you know. Let me say this, the first and second day usually is the hardest. Now, some people will say, oh, the third day is hardest for me. But for me, the first and second day and during that time, you know, your body's used to getting things. And so your stomach and even your mind will be kind of crying out saying, feed me, feed me. But if you just kind of pass through that, I can assure you that at some point, all of a sudden, you know, you're not just thinking about food all the time. And that's when, you know, our bodies have been cleansed, our spirits are cleansed, our minds, and we can just really focus in. Uh, some people choose to do a modified Fast, and that could be anything you choose to do. Uh, I know very popular these days is what's called a Daniel fast, and it comes out of Daniel chapter one, where Daniel and his friends fasted with vegetables and uh, and maybe fruits. So some people do that, but you know, other people do. You know, they're gonna cut out this, or they're gonna cut out two meals a day and only eat one. You, you can modify it whatever in whatever way you feel like you would like to do it. You know. Uh, uh, why do a modified fast? Well, sometimes that's important because of your job, maybe medical conditions, if you're pregnant, if you're nursing, if you have various medications. There's a lot of reasons why you might want to choose a modified uh, fast. If you're in doubt, you can always talk to your doctor. Okay. Now, if you are new to fasting, like you've never done it before, I suggest that you maybe just try it the first time one or two days, maybe three, okay? But the most important thing about fasting, and this is, hear this clearly, is our heart. Our heart wants to be seeking God, you know? And so I encourage you to set aside 
time every day just to spend with him. Time that wouldn't be maybe your normal quiet time or devotional time. Um, I find that reading the scriptures, a large amount of scriptures is very important. Why is that? Because God speaks to us probably most clearly through his word. And then, of course, prayer is a very important part of it as well. So take time just to cry out to him, but also take time not just to give your petitions, but to listen as well, because that's when he starts speaking to you. So anyway, that's just kind of a, a quick, um, just kind of reminder about the week of prayer and fasting. We do this every year, Emmanuel Fellowship. Uh, most people do at least some modified form of that. Um, and we do it usually about the first week of March every year. Okay, so let's go back to our study on heaven and death, the new earth, all those things. And remember a few weeks ago, we talked about these near-death experiences that uh, researchers have been recording a lot in the um, you know, last 10, 15, 20 years, maybe even a little bit longer for some. And, uh, and what's amazing about it is that most of people's experiences that people re recount when all of a sudden they kind of falling into the clinically they're dead for maybe three minutes or five minutes, you know, sometimes maybe even as long as 20 minutes and then they're revived. They talk about, you know, this next life. And it's really amazing. And most of it lines up with the scriptures. I mean, there are a few weird things out there, you know, but uh, the fact that we're talking about tens of thousands of this, and you know, and most of them line up with the scriptures means that you know it's it's there's probably something to that. But one thing that happens that uh, these near death experiences they call them NDEs in English, and uh, is that there's a large amount of people who talk about they have a life review. Now, that's, in fact, it's so common that researchers have actually come up with a word for it, you know, life review. And that's where everything in their life flashes before them. Now, again, they may only be clinically dead for three minutes, four minutes, but they talk about how it just seems like it was, you know, uh, days or, you know, hours at least that they spent, you know, uh, you know, in this next life. And, uh, and, and that's probably not surprising because they, they've kind of stepped into kind of an area called, you know, where, where time isn't a limitation. But one of the things they say, there, there, there are three things that, are, that researchers, researchers have kind of keep finding out. One is uh, their whole life seems to flash before them. And usually there's not even a hint of condemnation. There may be some embarrassment on the part of the person who is watching his life or her life. But there's also a realization of what really matters in life. And almost everyone who has one of these life reviews says, you know, it's not so much our accomplishments, but how we treat others. Uh, for example, one man, he said, you know, you know, all, and this is very typical. He said, you know, all of a sudden I was kind of showing my life going back when I was a childhood, things I haven't even remembered since it happened. And, you know, how I treated my brother or sister or how, you know, I responded to a friend or 
almost usually has something to do with treating others. And he kept waiting because he, he was, I can't even remember what it was, but there was some great award that he was, um, awarded sometime in the last couple of years before that. And he kept waiting to see, you know, what the Lord would say about that. And you know what? That part was kind of skipped over, you know, and he was, uh, he thought, huh, it's, it's all about how I treat others. And really, if you think about it, that is the message of the teachings of Jesus and the gospels. You know, so these life reviews that people have witnessed, they say that that a self-focus that people that, you know, that all of us have, you know, where we look only at ourselves with little interest to others, that is the part that scrutinized the most. So anyway, let me just kind of, of course, there's many, many examples in the scriptures. I just picked one, Luke 6, starting in verse 31. This is typical of the teachings of Jesus. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Actually, what is that known as? The golden rule. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love you, who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? For even sinners do the same. And by the way, uh, um, sinners was a word that in the religious atmosphere of the time of Jesus, people who weren't living godly, they were just called sinners. Uh, there wasn't really a realization that we all were sinners. So when it talks about sinners, it, that, that's what it's kind of referring to in context. And then it goes on and says, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And land, expecting nothing in return, for your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Now, that's just kind of a sampling of a lot of the teachings of Jesus where his emphasis on what we're to do and what really matters is how we treat others. A few weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the sheep and goats. Remember that, you know, where Jesus, you know, where the king, you know, separates the goat and the goats and the sheep and, you know, and one got to go into uh, spend eternity with him and the other didn't. And what was the defining difference? It was how or maybe even if we treat how we treat the hungry, the thirsty, the poor, the immigrant, the prisoner. And Jesus said, to the extent that you did it to me, you, to, to them, you did it to me. And, uh, and again, the emphasis is how we treat others. But what about all our accomplishments, you might say? You know, don't they matter? Well, perhaps, but we've got to be very careful there. Some of you, probably most of you have watched, because I think it's supposed to be the number one Christmas movie, watched the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey, it centers about the, the life of George Bailey. There he is right there. And, uh, you know, he had not done everything that he had wanted to do in life. He hadn't made all the money 
that he should have made and that he thought he was capable of doing. He hadn't been able to go to all the places he wanted. And uh, things got desperate one day when trying to defend someone who made a mistake, he ends up being blamed for, I think it was $8,000 that was short. And because he wasn't saving much, you know, because he was just always helping people and giving it away and stuff like that. And to his own hurt, he didn't have it. And he thought, oh no, I've wasted my life. And he decides to end his life. And, uh, but just as he's about ready to jump in the river off a bridge, God sends Clarence, an angel, a guardian angel. Now, let me kind of say this right away. This is not theologically, doesn't line up with what the Bible says, okay, about angels and all that. I, you know, we talked about angels all about six or seven weeks ago, I guess. Uh, but anyway, it's a funny story. And Clarence, he's trying to kind of get George not to go through with this. And finally, he comes up with an idea. You know, he says, okay, I'm going to let George look, George Baby, look at what life would be like if George had never been born. And so all of a sudden, you know, George is trying to get back home to see his wife and to see people. The name of the town's changed. I mean, it's just, it's, he's, the bottom line is that he's made a big impact on a lot of people's life. And if you've Watch the movie. You know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I encourage you to do it. And and actually, only the last 20, 30 minutes are about Christmas. So you can read it. You can watch it anytime. But George gets to see what the world would be like if he had never been born. And he saw that in one way, he made a big difference because he was helping people out much more than if he had seen all the places he wanted to travel to and he made a lot of money. And, uh, and I think the, the, the point of the movie is just really, it's, it's, it's very impactful. So what really matters? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Are the things that we're doing, are we really making a difference or is it a lot of fluff? And George Bailey, for one, found out that, you know what, what he was doing, in fact, the name of the, 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 the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, that I have had a wonderful life and it has been productive. It's been fruitful in the things that really matter. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And let's start in verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, this is Paul speaking, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. Okay, a lot of things in here. First of all, we need to ask ourselves, based on this passage, uh, are we building? Or are we just kind of cruising through life? And Paul says it's important how we build. And that could be 
family. It could be just how we're building our life. And, and, uh, and if so, how are we building? Because it does make a difference how we build. Are we building with gold, silver, or precious stones? Or are we building with wood, hay, and straw? So what are the wood, hay, and straw? That's doing things that do not last, at least from an eternal point of view. And that includes, by the way, brothers and sisters, a lot of good things. Uh, you know, we're not talking about doing sinful things. We're talking about just good things. But if they don't last, it's wood, straw, and hay. And what happens to wood, straw, and hay in a fire? It gets burned up. Some of you probably can remember uh, when you're a child or maybe when you had children, or maybe when you had grandchildren, the story of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. And you know the story, but in case you don't, let me just kind of remind you, three pigs that one built his uh, house out of straw, another out of wood, another one out of brick. Okay. And the big bad wolf comes in and, you know, he wants to get in. He goes to the house of straw and the, the, the one piggy wouldn't let him come in. And so he says, okay, I'm going to huff and puff and I'm going to blow your house down. And that's exactly what he did. And then depending on the version of the story and what age you read, you know, the wolf eats the pig. Then he goes to the next one and it's made of wood. And he says the same thing. Little pig, little pig, let me in. And, uh, and of course the pig says, no, no, you know, and, uh, and so he says, okay, I'm going to huff and puff it. I'm going to blow your house down. And of course, it's a little bit harder with the wood, but he does that. And again, eats the pig. He comes to the pig who has a house out of brick. And, uh, and you know, little pig, little pig, let me in. And of course, you know, uh, the, the pig's not going to let him. And so he huffs and puffs and huffs and puffs and he can't blow the house down. Because why? It's made of brick and not wood and stray straw. So here in this passage, we see that each man's work or each man's house will be evident. That's certain. You know, in fact, it speaks with certainty that each man's work is, is going to be evident. It says that in verse 13. Why? Because it's going to be tested by fire. Wood, hay, and wood, what happens when they are exposed to fire? They burn up, don't they? And likewise, gold, silver, and precious stones, they make it to the fire. So our works will be revealed by fire. And I like that way it says that. It's going to be revealed by fire. In other words, it's going to be the works that we have are going to be made known because sometimes, is that wood? Is it gold? Is it silver? We'll find out because it's going to be tested by fire to see what survives. In fact, it actually kind of says the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. It's the quality. It's not all the stuff we do, but the quality, the depth. Is it something made that's going to last into eternity? Or is it going to be something that, you know, that it's going to pass away? Our works will be revealed by fire to see what survives. 
sometimes, and I think this is God's mercy, he lets our, he lets our works be exposed to fire here on this earth. And that's a good thing, even though it's always painful because we see, oh, wait a minute. That, that was, that was just fluff. That didn't really matter. And we can change course. But if not here, it will be revealed at the end. Actually, a little bit later in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 2, you know, verse 5, it's still talking about the judgment. And look what it says. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So, so we see here that one of the purposes of judgment is to disclose the motives of our hearts. Now, you might say, yeah, but don't you think that a lot of times our motives are mixed, some good things, you know, maybe some selfishness involved? Yeah, that's probably true. But judgment separates them. And and it burns out the bad into all we have is the good motives left. One other thing we should probably kind of mention here too in this passage going back to chapter 3 is that it says we will receive a reward. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. So what's that about? Well, the short answer, we don't know exactly. Uh, uh, it does talk about receiving a crown for our faithfulness. Uh, we also know, we've talked about it in the previous weeks, uh, that those who are faithful are, they are, um, they're given more responsibility in the kingdom of God, the later kingdom of God, you know, when in the new earth and in the millennium. So there's that. Uh, but we don't know a lot of the details, but we do know there is going to be a reward. You know, Hebrews 10 says a great reward. Actually, that passage we just looked at in Luke 6 a few minutes ago talks about a great reward. So just knowing God and how beautiful he makes things, I think we can assume that the reward that he has for us for our works is going to be super, super wonderful. Now, on the other hand, it says, um, you know, the next verse, it says, um, if any man's work is burned up, this is verse 15, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Okay, so if a man's works are burned up, what happens? He's going to suffer loss, but he himself is going to be saved. In other words, his soul is going to be with Jesus. We don't know the details. He's just going to be quite empty-handed when he kind of enters into eternity. Psalm 66. Kind of another way of looking at this. It says, um, starting verse 10, says, For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. And by the way, how is silver refined? By fire. And then in a couple of verses later, in verse uh, 12, it says, uh, you made men ride over our heads. You went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. And that's 
really what God's trying to do. He wants us to have an abundance here and for all of eternity. And so he allows fire, even on this earth, in our lifetime, figuratively speaking, of, you know, of course, I'm talking about to what? To purify us because gold, silver, precious stones, that's what they need. Jeremiah in uh, chapter 16, I think verse 19, it talks about extracting the precious from the worthless. And he says, if you do that, you could be my spokesman. Other places, it talks about how God wants to burn out the dross, you know, the, the, the uh, ugly things, the impurities of who we are. Why? In order to make us a pure vessel for the Lord, you know, to, uh, that the things that we're building are going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. So yes, the fire is going to test the quality of each man's works, our motives, our heart, and watch out, our work may not be what it looks like on the surface. In other words, you know, on the surface, it may look really nice and people might say, oh, he's doing such a good job doing this or that, or, oh, he's so successful in life, you know, but it may not be what really matters and the fire is going to reveal it. So let's talk a little bit more, a few more minutes about this good works. Good works are, this is my definition, but just based upon looking at the scriptures, are selfless acts of love. That means good things that we do for ourselves may not be good works from a biblical point of view. You get that? In other words, if our motivation or our good works are to make us look good or make us feel important or to make us feel secure or, or whatever, that is not necessarily good works. Good works are selfless acts of love where we're giving and maybe we don't even receive anything back. I mean, the scriptures, I mean, well, let's just look at a couple of them. Um, examples of where good works are mentioned. First Timothy 5, verse 10. And this is talking about widows on the widows list. And it says, let a widow be put on the list if and it goes on. And then verse 10, it says, having a reputation for good works. And then it kind of talks it. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, literally that word strangers means immigrants. If she has washed the saints feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, that's what counts. That's what good works is about. 2 Timothy 2, verse 20, talks about good works. And uh, actually a little bit longer section, but it says, uh, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. So one of the questions it's asking, what type of vessel are we? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So we're going to be producing works of gold and silver. We need to be a vessel that way. And we've got to get rid of that impurity. Or verse 22, it 
2 says, But flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's, Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient with wrong, when wrong, and then it goes on. Again, what's the emphasis? The emphasis is really clear. It's how we treat others. That's what good works are. Titus 3, verse 14 says, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds. And then it goes on, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So again, it's meeting the needs of others, the pressing needs. The Sermon on the Mount is beautiful. Actually, it's the foundational teaching of Jesus to his disciples. Maybe it says it was directed to his disciples. Others probably heard it, but it was directed there. And uh, he starts off with the Sermon on the Mount, with the Beatitudes, talking about the attitudes of the kingdom of God. And then he follows it up with, let me just kind of talking about letting our light shine. And so in verse um, 16, it says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount is getting it to the heart and how we treat others. And Matthew 6 is a good example. I mean, a rather large part of that whole chapter, which is, you know, um, only three chapters, is devoted to we can lose our reward by doing things for recognition. Recognition Again, it's motivation is, is, is sort of the key there. And in fact, he says they receive their reward in heaven if they pray in front of other people to be noticed by them or if they give to others in front of others. And just really beautiful. But the whole Sermon on the Mount is about fruit and it's about character. Sadly, many Christians get deceived into thinking that our good works are personal achievements. The people, the things that people see and the things that people might say, oh, that's a, that's a successful person right there. It's not true. One other way to look at this is that Jesus speaks of storing up treasure in heaven and not on earth. Matthew 6, again, verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where, both, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's kind of clear here that Jesus is saying the problem of storing treasure here on earth is it's not going to last. If we store treasure in heaven, we enjoy it and we, and we reap the benefits of it forever and ever and ever. Our Luke 12 talks about it again. Uh, just a second, almost here. Luke 12 Starting verse 
or maybe verse 21 first. Um, he's talking about the, the man who, you know, um, you know, built all his barns to kind of store up everything that he had kind of accumulated. And then he was going to let his soul rest. And that very night, his, his life is taken. And he says, verse 21, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and not rich toward God. We need to meditate. We need to think about, are we storing up treasure for ourselves? Or are we storing up treasure in heaven? Verse 34, same chapter, kind of says again, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in Matthew 19, we'll make this the last one here. We could, we could share a lot more. Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. Most of you know the story. And he says, uh, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your position possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What are we storing? Are we storing treasure in, on earth? Or are we intentionally storing treasure in heaven? In conclusion, first of all, just about this week of prayer and fasting, there's a lot of things to pray for. God's going to lead you. I think one thing is this, this whole Russia, Ukraine, we used to call it a crisis. Now it's a war. A lot of things to pray for. But second, let's take a life review. Ask the Lord to reveal what your life is like. What is the fruit of our lives up to this point? What are our good works? Are they truly good works? What are our motives? Are we living for eternal things? Are we storing treasure on earth? Or are we storing treasure in heaven? A prayer asking God to reveal those things to us will not go unanswered. He wants to show us that, but we have to be listening. Let's pray. Father, just a lot here that we're talking about, but Lord, just, uh, I guess just, Lord, it's time for us to have a checkup, have an evaluation of how our life is going and what are we doing with our life? Are the things that we're doing with it is, it, is it, is it counting for eternity or is it just building up treasure here on earth? Because if so, Lord, we know it's very clear in your word what's going to happen. The fire is going to test it and it's going to be revealed what is gold, silver, and precious stones and what is wood, hay, and straw. Lord, we desire that the rest of our lives be built with gold, silver, and precious stones. We need your help. And the first thing we need is for you to kind of really, to shine your light on our lives and reveal to us exactly what's going on in each of us. We ask that you would do that. Thank you, Lord. Amen.